Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. If you're holding a uh, physical Bible, you might notice that we're really getting towards the end of the book of 2 Timothy. It's really a letter, as you know. This is a letter that was written to Timothy, and we're really getting closer and closer to the end of the book. He's concluding, and he's only got a few words left, but... As we see in verse number 9, there's one admonition that he has left for Timothy before he finishes off the letter, which is basically, get here soon, right? That's what he's saying in verse number 9. In verse number 9, it says, do thy diligence, do your best to come shortly unto me. Do your best to get here quickly. That's Paul's admonition. And often when we read uh, Paul's writings, we read about his instruction to the churches. We read about his admonition regarding sin. And uh, you can just take a look at all of these letters that he's written. You might take a look at the book of 1 Corinthians and see that Paul is really laboring over uh, this letter, obviously by the inspiration of the Lord, to be able to admonish this church, hey, you guys are not doing what is right. You need to live right. You need to do what is right. You guys are having sin within your church that even people outside of the church would look at that and be like, that's wrong. And you guys are doing that. And he had to give some admonition regarding spiritual gifts. He had to give some admonition regarding sin in the church, regarding all of these different sorts of things. And you can read about some other things. He wrote to the churches of Galatia. And in the churches of Galatia, there was some false doctrine that was appearing in that area, which is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, he's giving some admonition there. And, And when you think about the writings of Paul, you think about the teaching, you think about the admonition, you think about the encouragement, and all of these sorts of things. But when we get here to the end of this book to Timothy, you can kind of feel that Paul is now opening up, not to a church, because he's not writing to a church, he's beginning to open up a little bit like he would to a friend. You know how in, in public spaces, when you're with a lot of people, you, you, know, you, you are who you are, but you don't reveal everything about yourself, right? But when you're with somebody very close to you, a very close friend, a close family member, you might reveal a little bit more about yourself. For instance, if, if you were to come to church and somebody were to ask you, how are you doing? You would always say what? You would say, I'm good, I'm fine, right? But if you had a really close friend come up to you afterwards and say, hey, you know what, how you doing? You say, well, uh, I'm doing okay, but, you know, and you, you might feel a little bit more open to reveal something about what's really going on. And this is kind of what I feel here in the end of uh, this letter to Timothy. Paul, of course, is very close with Timothy, and Timothy is close with Paul. He begins to open up a little bit about himself, and he's opening up the struggles and the trials that he's going through in the moment. He's really some tough times. And if you read the Bible, if you read particularly the book of Acts, you'll know about a lot of the struggles that he went through, the trials, the persecution, having to flee for his life, getting kicked out of cities, being imprisoned, being falsely accused, all sorts of things. You can read a little bit in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. He writes a little bit to this church here and he says, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft of the Jews, five times received 40 stripes, save one. So five times he was in a situation by those that were Jewish where he was whipped 39 times. 
uh, in verse number 25, thrice was I beaten with rods. So three separate times he was arrested and they took rods and they beat him. Once I was stoned, thrice I suffered, I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. He's, he actually continues a little bit more, but the point is that Paul really went through some very difficult times in the ministry. And when you read the letters, you don't necessarily see that. When you, when you read about, you know, he's writing to the churches of Thessalonica, when, he's reading about, uh, writing, when we're reading about his letter to these different churches or these different individuals, you don't necessarily see that. But here at the end, we begin to see that he's opening up a little bit, and we're seeing that even though he's trying to help other people, he's really going through a tough time himself. And today, what I see is that as Christians... And as we consider the theme of the whole uh, book, or the way that I've kind of taken a look at the book, is uh, powerful tools for perilous times. We're living in perilous times, and God has given us powerful tools. In these perilous times, as Christians, we have to be there for each other. Amen? Amen. We have to be there for each other. During the tough times, we've got to be there for each other. Because... Your brothers and sisters in Christ have needs. You might not always see it right away. Maybe when you come to church, you look around, and you think, ah, oh, everybody's got their life all put together. They seem fine. Oh, they, they come in their nice car. They come dressed looking nice. They come even with a smile on their face. Everything seems fine. But maybe deep down, uh, they're really going through some struggles. They're going through some trials. Maybe you don't see the persecution that they face at work every time that they try to be a witness, invite somebody to Christmas Sunday. You don't see the way that they, you know, their coworkers react to them. Maybe you don't always see when they go home, maybe when they come to church as a family. Everything seems fine, but when they go home, there's some, there's some struggles that are there in the house, and you see some issues there, maybe between a husband and a wife, or parents with their kids, or relatives that are there. We don't, we don't always see these things. So that's why we've got to be there for each other. When somebody goes to work, they've got to go to, they got to, go to work every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. It can be a spiritual battle. When we come to church, it should be a spiritual refreshment. It should be a time when we can encourage one another. Hey, let's continue to live for the Lord. Hey, I know that you're facing that kind of thing. You know what? I'm, doing, I'm going through that same kind of thing at my work too. And so we've got to be there for each other. Paul, in writing to the church at Corinth, elaborates a little bit on this mentality that we should have. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse number 18, he says, Now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. So what God is saying is, as a church, if you're a member here of Bible Baptist Church, as the members together, you are placed here by God. If you're placed here by God, you've been placed here purposefully, with a reason, with God's will in mind. God, knowing all things, put us together. And in verse number 19, he continues, And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. What, what Paul is trying to teach the church at Corinth is we need each other. You need one another. And I need you, you need me, we need one another. We are in need of, of having some of the help that somebody else can provide that I cannot provide for myself. Verse 22, nay, much more these members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable 
upon those we bestow more abundant honor, and our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked, that there should be no schism in the body. So what God is saying is, some people, they have a quote-unquote honorable position, or people look up to them, others maybe not so. Not necessarily because of their character, but because of their role within the church or the kind of service that they provide. But what God is saying is we need one another and we need to be united together that the members should have the same care one for another. What Paul is saying is because we're part of the same body, we should care for one another. If you have had an injury in the past, maybe you've had some teeth problems, Maybe you broke a bone. Maybe you had, you know, you, you, you cut yourself somewhere. It doesn't matter where the injury happens. Your whole body feels it, right? Your whole body is affected by that one thing that got injured, right? If, if your hand gets injured or if your, your ankle gets injured, that really affects a big part of your life and everything changes around it. And it's the same way as a body of Christ. If somebody's hurting, we've got to rally around and help that person and help that individual and not just say, you know, ah, just shake it off. You know, ah, oh, you know what, we'll be, we'll be praying for you and, you know, wish them well. We've got to rally around and help one another. Verse 26, and whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. So this really brings back together why we come together as a church. Why should we be here in the church services? Why should we gather why should we join a Life Connection class? We have classes after this morning service. I know there's a lot of things that are on people's minds, errands that you've got to run, people you want to meet, things, you know, people say, hey, let's get together for lunch or whatever, all these different sorts of things. And I know life can get very busy, but I want to encourage you to stick around for a Life Connection class. Why? So we can be there for one another. Amen? That's where you can really get to know somebody. People can feel free to open up in their class with people that they get to know a little bit better and be able to share with one another, pray for one another, and be able to know, oh, okay, this brother or sister in Christ is going through this issue. You know, I can help them in that area. Hey, you need a ride? You need some help in this area? Uh, you're having some struggles here? I can really be there for you. And at the very least, be able to pray one for another. So, in perilous times, we have to be there for each other. That's why it's so important that we prioritize the church. Amen? Amen? That's why it needs to be a priority. That's why we've got to come together. A church is not just a place where you show up. A church is a group of people that you show up and you're there for one another. So the mentality of coming to church is, I'm here for you and you're here for me, and we're here for each other. Amen? Amen. All right, that's the mentality. And especially as end times come, perilous times are here, that mentality ought to grow more. That we are more here for each other. That when greater difficulties come to Christians and to the church as a whole, we got to be there for each other. And Paul elaborates a little bit because in verse number nine, remember he says, do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. I need you here. That's what he's saying. Why? Well, Paul gives a couple reasons that I think are relevant for us as well. 
The first one is that we have to be there for each other because of a labor shortage. Because of a labor shortage. You hear about labor shortages today, right? You know, how many of us have in the past, you wanted to go to a restaurant, but then you found that they opened late or they closed early. I was at a restaurant recently and I was over there at the restaurant and uh, we were eating dinner and uh, one of the workers there came over and said, I'm so sorry, but uh, you got to leave because we're closed. And I said, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were closed. I looked at my watch and I was thinking, wow, that's early. But, you know, with a labor shortage, you've got to cut hours. Maybe you don't have as many people. You know, you, maybe you've gone to the store and felt like, ah, where is everybody? I need, I need help with something. There's nobody there. And, and there's a labor shortage. Many of us have seen and experienced that. Well, Paul is experiencing a labor shortage. We read that he says in verse number 10, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Cretans to Galatia, Titus unto Dalmatia, only Luke is with me. In verse number 12, he says, And Tychicus have I sent unto Ephesus. So there's a number of individuals that were with Paul that are not there anymore. Actually, Timothy also being one of these individuals. Timothy, of course, if you read the book of Acts, you'll know that he was a helper to Paul. But Paul would send him to different places. He became the pastor at Ephesus. And so he's calling for Timothy to come back and to help him because I have a labor shortage. I need some help here. And he gives the reason why. Demas is gone. Cretans is gone, Titus is gone, Tychicus is gone. The only person that is here is Luke. And so I've got a labor shortage. Here are some other individuals. We know about Titus. We know about some of these other individuals that Paul would send to the churches in order to help them, to make sure, make sure that their doctrine is still right, make sure that they still love the Lord, make sure that they're still living right. But Demas is the one that we're going to focus on for just a few minutes because Demas leaving Paul was different from the others. Because Timothy had left in order to help churches and to establish churches, in order to appoint elders and, and pastors in some of the churches, he, he had some of these roles and responsibilities that Paul gave to him. And he said, I can't be everywhere, so I want you to go over there, establish them, and then come back. Or I want you to go over there, I want you to pastor, and then now he's saying, I need you to come back. It's the same situation with some of these other individuals. Demas, though, he thought that he could trust him and rely upon him, but he found out that Demas left him for the world. He's experiencing a labor shortage. And what a time to experience a labor shortage because of his immediate need. Here, Paul is saying, I need you here, and I need you here now. I need you here immediately. Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. And, and Paul is trying to explain to him, I've got a need right now, and I need you to come here as quickly as possible because he's a, a abandoned in prison. Paul is in prison in the moment, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, and being in prison, it's not like he's free to do whatever he wants to do. He can't just go out and go witness and go do all of these different things. He's locked up in this prison, and he's saying that because Demas left me, all I've got is Luke. I need some help. I need you to come here right now. And he begins to elaborate on that uh, a, a little bit more, but he's saying, I need your help right now. One of the other things that I think is pretty clear about this is that Demas left Paul despite the fact that Paul was innocent. Paul, it's not like Paul did anything wrong, right? It's not like Paul mistreated Demas and that's why Demas left. It's not like Paul was not thankful for Demas and that's why Demas left. 
Demas left because he loved the present world. You know, today we might see a number of reasons why people might be slow to come back to work, right? You've seen the reports about there's all these job openings, but there's all these people that are not working, and, and you, you we're kind of wondering, why is that? Why is there a huge labor shortage, and there's still all these abundant, you know, people that say that I don't have a job, but I'm kind of looking for a job. Like, what is the situation there? Well, you know, there's a number of different reasons, you know. I think the stimulus checks, you know, the, all that went out and all of that. I think we know a little bit about that. That's a, big, that's a big part of it. There's some other reasons, too. I was reading about how some people would love to go back to work, but the daycare that they, you know, used to send their kids to, well, they're not taking anybody anymore because they don't have any workers. So they don't have any workers, so they can't take their kids there. And so they don't have anybody to watch their kids. So now they can't go to work because where are they going to leave their kids? They can't just leave their kids, and so they're not working... There's a number of different reasons, but what was Demas's reason for leaving? Demas's reason for leaving was pretty clear in verse number 10. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Perhaps Paul could have accepted Demas leaving for something better if he was leaving for something better. Right? If Demas was leaving a worse paying job for a better paying job, you would kind of understand that, right? You might have a coworker and uh, you love working with this individual, but they leave the job and they let you know, hey, you know, just so you're aware, I got a new job, I'm going to a different company. You're like, oh, why? Why are you leaving? Oh, well, they're offering me more money. What are you going to say? You say, oh, good for you. You know, you, you kind of in some ways be happy for them. You know, they get to have more pay. Maybe they leave one company to go to another company because they're going to give them a promotion, right? They give them a better position. You can understand that. Oh, you're leaving? Why are you leaving? Well, you know, this other company is offering me not just better pay, but they're offering me a better position. They're offering me a step up. And so, you know, this company just wants me to stay here, but they're offering me a little bit better. You'd say, okay, you know, I can understand that. I, I, I could accept the fact that you would leave for a better, a better position. You would leave for better pay leave because of some family situations, right? That's pretty common, especially with the pandemic, people working online, people want to be closer to their family, right? You may have grandparents or family members in different parts of the country, and you say, you know what, if I'm going to work online and work at home anyway, I just want to be with family. And so they're going to go and they're going to move to be with family. You know, there's a number of different reasons why you would understand somebody would move a company or, or move from one company to another or move to a different place in the country, but it's not like Demas was leaving for a better paying job in the world, because the world doesn't pay better than God. It's not like Demas was leaving for a higher position because the world can't offer a better position than God. It's not like Demas was leaving in order to be closer to his family. He left his family, his spiritual family, in order to be with the world. And I think that Paul would look at Demas and say, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? If somebody, one of your friends had come to you and said, oh, you know what, I'm leaving this company, you say, oh, why are you leaving? Well, I'm just going to leave. Are they paying you better? No, they're actually paying me worse. You'd be like, excuse me? So, so are they offering you a better position? No, 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 actually, the, it's, it's a demotion. It's actually a lower position. Excuse me? Leaving your job for less pay? Are they mistreating you here? I mean, no, no, no. They're, they're treating me wonderfully here. Okay, I don't understand. I mean, do you have family in the area? No, no, no. My family actually lives here, but I, I'm going to move over there. <laughs> I don't understand. Why, why are you leaving? It, it doesn't pay as well. 
the, it's a demotion. You're farther from family. It, 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 the environment's not as good as the environment that you're with here. Why are you leaving? And Paul, I think, is asking himself that same question. He's asking Demas, why are you leaving? Oh, I, I, I'm just tired of living the Christian life. I, I'm tired of doing all of these things, but what I, I think is a good reminder for us is to remember that God is the better payer. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. If you've been paying attention to like the stock market or like these cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and stuff like that, you'll certainly have read about stories that, of people that became millionaires, right? You know, wow, look at somebody. He made so much money. He made so much money in this weird coin. I don't even know what it is or why it's called that. But wow, they're so rich. Well, I think now that we're kind of unwinding a little bit of that, you're beginning to see some people not getting rich. They're becoming poorer. The money that they gained last year, they're losing it this year. And who knows what will happen in the future. But at least in our earthly lives here, it doesn't matter how much money you gain here, it all goes to zero when you die. When you die, it's over. There's no money left. You leave it here and you go on without it. And what God is saying is, the reason why that you can know that God pays better is because you get paid not before you die necessarily, but after you die, when you get home, when you go to heaven. And, and you might live in a great house here, but when you die, you leave it behind. You might have a huge bank account, but when you die, you leave it behind. But when you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, when you die, that's when you receive it. And God says, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 14 says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Ultimately, Demas lost the sight of the eternal world and he could only think about the present world. And he left Paul, leaving Paul shorthanded. That's why we've got to be here for one another. We've got to be here for each other. We've also got to be careful that we don't fall into this mentality of Demas, of loving the present world, loving the pleasures of this life, loving the comforts of this life, lo loving the possibilities of this life. Matthew chapter 9, verse number 35, gives us a passage about Jesus. It says in verse 35, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Verse 36 says, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. You, you have to imagine... It, we, we know about some of the instances of Jesus with the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. There were thousands, perhaps tens of thousands of people following Jesus. Can you imagine this? This is back in the day where you're just out in the wilderness. You might be in a small town or a village, and you've got tens of thousands of people surrounding Jesus. Imagine Jesus as he's leaving one of these towns, and this huge multitude is following him, and he climbs up 
you know, on this pathway, maybe going through a mountain kind of a passageway, and he's walking up the, the, this, this pathway, and he turns around and he looks down on the town, and this huge multitude of people. I mean, so many people that you can't, it's just a big mob. You can't even see the individual people. And he sees this group of people, and he has compassion on them. And in verse 37, he says, Then said he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. We've got to be there for each other because there's a labor shortage. Ask any one of the people in charge of a ministry here in the church and they'll tell you there's a labor shortage. Ask somebody, hey, can I help in the nursery? I guarantee you the answer will be yes. <laughs> I've got a labor shortage here. Yes, come and help me, right? You ask me, hey, can you, can you use help in the music ministry? Yes, come and help. Hey, do you need help on a Saturday morning going out and uh, telling people about Christmas Sunday, inviting them to the church and sharing the gospel? Yes, I could use your help. I guarantee you, if you come to me and you say, can I help you with something? I will say, yes, there is a place for you. <laughs> Maybe you can't help with the music. Maybe you're not, you know, you, you say, I, I can't sing, so I'm not going to do that, but I could do something else. I could leave invitations on the door. I could help in the nursery. I could help in a class. I could help prepare the, you know, the, the property for uh, Sunday morning services or just being a witness. Maybe just showing up to services and events, things like that. We've got a labor shortage, and that's why we've got to be there for each other. Paul continues, and he says, I need you here to, to Timothy. We've got to be here for each other, not just because there's a labor shortage, but he says, I'm under severe persecution. Verse 13, he says, The cloak that I left at Troas with Carpus, when thou comest, bring with thee and the books, but especially the parchments. Later on, he says, towards the end of the book, he says, do thy diligence to come before winter. So you put these two things together, do thy diligence to come unto me shortly, and bring the cloak, and do thy diligence to come before winter, you can understand why. Because he says, I don't have the things that I need, basic necessities. I had a cloak that I left at Troas. Troas was the city when, do you remember when Paul and uh, Silas, they were trying to figure out where to go, and they had the dream. Paul had the Macedonian dream. The man from Macedonia says, come over and help us. And he says, all right. In the morning, he says, all right, I know where we're going. We're going to Macedonia. And there he went to Philippi. And from there, he went to some of the other cities over there. That's the city of Troas. So maybe for whatever reason, you know, summertime, things were going well. He left his cloak there with Carpus, and he went on forward thinking, I won't need this for a little while. And maybe I'll get it on the way back or something like that. But Paul right now is writing from Rome. And he's not writing from the church office. He's not writing from his hotel room. He's writing from prison. And when you think of prison, and when I think of prison, we probably think most likely the prison system here in America, right? Think about the bars, you think about the guards, you think about, you know, the mess hall and things like that or whatever. You know, you have in your mind a picture of what a prison would be like. The Roman prison was nothing like that. Okay? I've not been to this prison. I've, I, I think that in Rome today, you could visit some part of the Mamertine prison that is still there. 
But the prison is nothing like the prison that you and I would think of. The prison there is basically a hole in the ground. They would take the prisoner, they would take him over into a cell, open up the lid, basically, this, this opening, and they would have some ropes, they would put it under your arms, and they would literally drop you down into this hole in the ground. And then they would pull the rope back up, and they would leave you there. That was prison. It wasn't a comfortable place. Nobody cared about you. Nobody cared about your comfort. They had nothing. I was, I was reading about it, and apparently they basically strip you of everything, and they just leave you with an outer coat. That's basically it. That's all that he had. And in wintertime, it's going to get cold. It's not like they have heaters, and they say, hey, Paul, are you okay? Are you comfortable down there? Nothing. It's cold. I was reading that sometimes the rats would come down there and start eating the prisoners. I mean, this is dark. This was rough. And he was there not because of a crime that he committed. It's not like he was trying to overthrow the government. It's not like he stole and looted a bunch of things. It's, it's not, not because of any of those things. You know why he was in prison? He was in prison because he preached the word of God. He was thrown into prison because he was faithful to the Lord. And in that prison, he's writing to Timothy and he says, I need you here. Bring the cloak with you because I need it. I really need it. The conditions were, of course, terrible. Times were tough for Paul. He was being persecuted because he preached the gospel. And if you've ever preached the gospel and you've given it to a number of people, you'll know what it's like to have some persecution as well. To be persecuted by a friend, a family member, maybe even a stranger, just trying to witness to a stranger. That's why we've got to be there for each other. We have to be there for each other because Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse number 9 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall... The one will help up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Verse number 12, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. We've got to be there for each other. We've got to be there for each other because people are being persecuted. People are going through some tough times. Maybe you've been tempted just to keep it quiet, do not rock the boat. When somebody says something about Christianity or about the Bible, you might, you might be tempted to defend and then say, well, but, you know, I, I'm really a little worried about what they would do or say to me. Let me encourage you. You've got a group of fellow Christians that were there with you. We're here to encourage you to continue to live for the Lord because thirdly, We've got to be there for each other because we've got an important mission. We have a mission that is important, that we finish the job. Verse 14 says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou ware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. This individual Alexander, we don't know a lot about Alexander. We don't know much about him. We know that he was a coppersmith. 
which I don't know about you, doesn't really tell me that much. Some people have speculated that he was involved in the idolatry business. I don't know if that's true or not. When I think about a coppersmith, I think about, I don't know, a blacksmith basically. So I think about maybe somebody who's just making things with metals or, or whatnot. We don't know exactly, but he's a coppersmith and maybe, that's, maybe he was involved in the idolatry business and that's why he would have opposed the apostle Paul. And what Paul is saying about this Alexander is he was attacking me maliciously. He did me much evil. Verse number 14, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. Sometimes people hurt you on accident. You ever been there? You ask somebody for help, I need your help moving this furniture, and then, you know, they move it in such a way and you accidentally slam your finger against the door or something, and, you know, people try to help you, and sometimes they accidentally hurt you or things like that. Alexander is not one of those kinds of people who accidentally, he was trying to help Paul, but in helping him, he accidentally did some things and hurt him. No, he was maliciously trying to hurt Paul. Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil, which tells me that he was also a very persistent kind of an individual. He did me much evil, consistently, persistently opposing the Apostle Paul, day after day after day, powerfully, personally attacking the Apostle Paul, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Now, Paul is saying, basically, this individual is attacking me, but how could that be? Paul obviously was in prison. It's not like Alexander was coming to the guards, hey, I need to see, the, I need to see Paul. I said, okay, come in here, and they lowered him down, and it's not like he dropped down into the cell and started swinging away at him, right? That's not what it means. What it means is that Paul said, this individual is attacking me because he's withstanding our words. Now, what kind of words was Paul using? What kind of words was Paul using? Was he using words of uprising against the government? We're going to overthrow the, the government here and Caesar and, you know, we're God's people. We're, we, we're going to be our own people. Is that what he was saying? He wasn't saying anything like that. He wasn't criticizing the economic policy of the Roman government. He wasn't criticizing other individuals. He wasn't doing any of these things. What was Paul saying? He was simply giving the word of God. That's all he was doing. Amen? Amen? That's what he was doing. Why was Paul being attacked? Because of the word of God. Because he was saying things like, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. He said things like, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He was saying things like, but the for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He was saying things like, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by him. You don't get to heaven by the church. You don't get to heaven by your false religion. You don't get to heaven by giving money. You don't get to heaven by being a quote-unquote good person. You go to heaven by trusting in Jesus Christ. Some people didn't like that message. Some people opposed that message. Alexander the coppersmith opposed that message. But Paul knew what his mission in life was. He knew what his mission in life was. Acts chapter 9, verse number 20 says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Acts chapter 9 is the passage where Paul the apostle, he gets saved. We won't go through the whole story. He gets saved, and as soon as he 
gets into the city. We know that Ananias comes and, and he speaks with Paul. His eyes are open. And the Bible says there he immediately begins to preach the word of God. He knows what his mission is. His mission is what? To preach that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. That Jesus is the son of God. That he is God in the flesh. He died on the cross for our sins. And if we would trust in him, that we could be saved. That's his message. And that's his mission. That's his mission. He continues further. Acts chapter 13, we see that it's written about him. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had also John to their minister. It would be easy for Paul to have simply stopped the persecution by simply stopping to speak those very words. You want to stop the persecution? Stop giving out the word of God. Stop believing the word of God. Stop telling others that this is what the Lord said. And if you stop speaking those words, the persecution will probably stop. But you know what Paul said? I'm sorry, I can't do that. I can't stop giving the words of God. I can't do that. You know why? He had a mission. You know what his mission was? His mission was to give the word of God so that people could be saved. Did you know that we have that same mission today? Did you know that our mission is the same mission of the Apostle Paul's? I know that you might have a job where you go to a company and you make some money there. I understand that might be your job. I know that you have some obligations with your family. I know that you've got some other things. But what's your mission in life? Is your mission in life to retire early? Is that your mission in life? Is your mission to have tons of money? Is that your mission in life? Is your mission in life to become the CEO of a company, to get a great position? Is your, is your uh, uh, mission in life to be able to have all your friends and all your peers and all your family members look at you and be like, wow, look at that individual. What a great person. That person is so successful. Is that your mission in life? As a Christian, what is my mission in life? And what is your mission in life? Isn't our mission in life to glorify God? Isn't our mission in life to tell others about how they could be saved? Isn't our mission in life to help Christians to grow in the Lord so that they could reach others? Now, if that's your mission in life, it'll change the way you approach going to work. If your mission in life is to give the word of God, you're not going to your workplace just to make money. You're going there to give people the word of God. This is a totally different way to approach work, amen? amen? You're not there just to make money and go home and live your private Christian life at church. You're there to give people the gospel. Now, if you gave the gospel to somebody at your workplace, you might get persecuted. The question is, are we willing to go through that? It's not easy, I know. I know it's not easy to think about, you know what? I might lose out on a deal if I do that. I might lose out on a business partner if I do that. I might lose my job. They might find a way to be able to lay me off and that'd be tough. Paul knows all about that. Paul knew all about what it was like to go through all of those things. And you know what Paul said to Timothy? I need you here. If you follow the mission in life that God has given to you and you face some persecutions, 
I want you to know you've got people here in this church that are here for you. When you go to your workplace and you say, oh, you know what, it was a tough week this week because I was trying to give the gospel and it was, it was just a terrible experience. You could come back to the church and say, you know what, we're here for you. We're here for you. Hey, let me tell you what, God still loves you. Let me tell you what, let me tell you that you've got a church family that we're going to support you, we're going to help you, we're going to encourage you, we're going to pray for you, we're going to be there for you. If you ever need me for anything, just give me a call. You just want to meet up for dinner and just need some encouragement. You just want to spend time with another Christian. Let me tell you to just come over here and, and spend some time with me. And, and what Paul is saying is, I need you here because there's a mission that we've got to accomplish. I need you here because we've got a labor shortage. I need more people in the ministry. I'm losing people, sometimes to good places, sometimes to the world but I need you here. I need you here because look at the persecution that I'm going through in trying to live for the Lord. I'm going through this because I'm trying to follow you. I'm giving the word of God when I go to the workplace, when I'm with my family, when I'm with my friends, I give it out to my neighbors and I, I'm giving it out to these strangers and I go out on a Saturday morning, I'm doing all of these things and I'm facing some deep persecution and Paul is saying, I need you here. Let me encourage you, when you come to church, think about, you know what, I'm here because God wants me to be here for somebody. Somebody needs some encouragement. Somebody needs somebody to, to tell them, you know what, keep on keeping on. Hey, you're fighting a good fight. Hey, finish your course. Keep the faith. Hey, don't, don't, don't leave off. It won't be easy, but just continue to live for the Lord. So that's why we've got to be here for each other. The world out there is not getting better. It's not getting better. So we've got to be here for each other. Let me encourage you. On a Sunday morning, be faithful. Be faithful. Let me encourage you to your Life Connection class. Be faithful. You're not here for me. Be here for each other. Be here for your fellow Christians. Let's be there for each other.